Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Under Pressure Podcast in a week where we should have seen the Olympic Games start. However, due to the COVID-19 global pandemic, like most sports in the world this year, we're not going to see it happen. And joining that list was also the Men's T20 World Cup that was slated for October and November this year. But joining me to discuss this and a whole lot more is Jake Barker. Welcome back to the Under Pressure Podcast, Jake. Thanks, Matt. How's your week been? Um, with a bit of Christian Petrarca and Max Score Magic, any week is good. So hopefully I continue to see that and I'll continue to be more positive. But it wasn't a good weekend for your, uh, your cats over in uh, Perth, was it? No, it was a bit disappointing. Uh, it's, it's that first quarter thing that's happened this year. If, if you get off to a brilliant start, it tends to, tends to help you right throughout the game and tends to get you over the line, especially in this, in this, se- this season this year. So, Yeah, and that's sort of the, the trend of the year. It's a trend that personally I don't like, but unfortunately it's here to stay or until another team develops something different but as i said in the intro we're going to start off with the men's t20 world cup which has been postponed it'll either be in well there was also a world cup scheduled for india next year which either india will host that or that world cup will get postponed to 2022 and australia hosts the world cup next year that's all to be determined however one thing that is being factored into all this is in november 2023 the one-day World Cup has been moved from February, March to October and November, which is also in India. So there's a lot of moving parts here for the ICC, Cricket Australia, and the Board of Control of Cricket in India all need to consider on what is the best, not only for their own governing bodies, but for the sport as a whole. Jake, what do you think about the uh, very expected postponement announcement? Yeah, well, I kind of expected it. Like we talked to, talked about it a bit earlier on, on a, one of our earlier podcasts about what's going to happen with, with the World Cup and the IPL. And looks like the IPL has won over, which I think we both thought was going to happen. So we were both right in that aspect. But I think with this, with this postponement now, it is probably the right thing to do. And in terms of who's going to host what, I think, I think you're right with the India hosting the next one and then Australia. So then it's not two World Cups in India in back-to-back years. So I think that's the, probably the best way to do it. And I think that's the way the ICC will go in terms of that. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I think the IPL generates significantly more money than a World Cup. So the border control of cricket in India would have obviously wanted the, um, the IPL to happen this year, given that they would get all proceeds from the IPL, whereas... There's a bit of <clears throat> split up in money in a ICC-sanctioned event, which the T20 World Cup would have been. And it would have been less so of an impact given that it would have been in Australia. But it also still does mean a few of the Australian players can actually travel to India for the IPL. And then what is ex- expected at the moment, and I do stress at the moment, is the Australian IPL players and the Indian players will all quarantine at the Adelaide Oval in the hotel that is sort of built into the ground. But I do want to stress at the moment, I don't think anything you could plan 
right now will actually be reality in November later this year, given the ever-changing landscape of the pandemic. Yeah, no, I think I think you're right when it, in in terms of that, and I, yeah, couldn't really agree more with with what you've said there. So it'll be interesting to see the decisions made in a few years' time. So looking forward to those, but we'll, we'll see how they turn out. And also moving over to the women's cricketing landscape, one of the worst kept secrets, one that we've all known is going to happen for several months, is Meg Lanning is coming back to the Melbourne Stars after a decent um, stint for her at the uh, Perth Scorchers. Um, She captained Perth. Um, She used to actually captain the Stars. Where do you see this, Jake? Are you happy that she's coming home or coming back to the Stars? I think it's I think it's a really good really good thing for Victorian cricket and I don't, well, we don't know where where it's going to be played but it is it is good for her to come back and be be in that in that green colour that the, that the Melbourne Stars are in and I mean she's a fantastic player like she's sixth all time on the runs at an average of forty seven point one and that's phenomenal in T Twenty cricket and the Stars are starting to build a, a pretty reliable team she. She joins the joins the stars with Elise Villani, who's a very seasoned and has played for Australia as well. And young players like Anna, Alana King and Annabelle Sutherland, I should say. And they're they're some of the uh, six players that have already signed with the Melbourne Stars and the WBBL. So she joins a really good uh, team team already, and hopefully they can build one that that'll win the the, the title. And it's actually a very very strong list on. On paper, I know with all sports, there's a difference between reality and on paper. But just just imagine if uh, they even got Elise Perry to come across, which unfortunately she has signed on with the Sydney Sixers, but there was talk that she could have joined either the Stars or the Renegades, given her recent move to the uh, the, the Victorian um, domestic competition. Jeez, and wouldn't that make, wouldn't that make a side... Seeing Elise Perry in uh, Melbourne Stars colours in a few years' time. You never know. We might see it. So, something to look forward to. It's virtually, if she comes in, they're only really missing Elise Healy and a few others in the, from the Australian side. But into some big NBL news that I haven't heard Jake stop talking about in the last few days. And that is with the uh, probably sort of the semi-expected announcement of the stalwart of the Perth Wildcats in Damian Martin. Yeah, no, I, I, I was a bit saddened to see the, uh, see the news that Damian Martin had retired. It was probably probably a long time coming. He's, he's been a magnificent player, not known for his, his scoring ability per se, but known for his hustle and getting the ball and all his, all his defence, which shows with him winning the uh, Defensive Player of the Year six times, which is... Arguably one of the best defensive players the NBL has ever seen. So, 342 games. He's won six championships with Perth. Pretty much played most of most of the last 10 years with Perth, I'd say. And he's been magnificent for them. So, And also, a little bit of news today. They've uh, actually, they're gonna, the NBL is going to be honouring him with naming the Defensive Player of the Year after him. So, that just shows what, what type of player he is and has been over the last so many years. 
That is a superb thing. And from memory, I'm going back a couple of months um, into the earlier COVID thing, and I think they were still able to cut, uh, the Perth Wildcats were still able to cut the, the net in the end. So that w- would have been a great final memory for Damian Martin to sort of walk out on, unfortunately, not with no fans, but at least he still got that success. Obviously, ahead of any season competition, um, one of the big um, questions is, are there going to be any movements with some of the key players or is that things going to remain relatively steady? And for start off with Melbourne United, things will remain steady with Chris Golding re-signing with Melbourne United. But Jake's also going to talk about some of the other big moves that have happened in the NBL uh, free agency so far. Yeah, so I've just got a few here that I think are pretty important at the moment. Not, not so much um, imports or anything like that, but really key, key players in, in the NBL, Australians. And uh, there, might be, there might be a few, one or two imports here as well, but some real, real good players in this, in this mix. Um, Cameron Glidden, who's played uh, for recently, he's played for Brisbane and Cairns in the last, last few seasons. He's moved to the South East Melbourne Phoenix as of this year, I believe, on a two-year deal. So he joins the likes of Mitch Creek and Adam Gibson for South East Melbourne. So that'll be really good to see. Uh, another guy, Anthony Drimmick, who's been playing for Adelaide the last few seasons, really good three-point shooter and defender that 3 and D type player. He's, he's actually moved over to Brisbane. So he's uh, taking the spot that uh, Glidden's left over there. So that, that, that'll be a really good, really good get for the Bullets over there in Brisbane. A guy who's been sort of in and out of the NBL as of late, but he's been doing really good things over in the NBA and the G League, which is the, the VFL to the AFL if you, if you need a little bit of help with that yeah so the G League's just just below the NBA and he's been playing over there and he's actually signed with Adelaide for this next, this upcoming season so uh, that'd, that'd be really good next to Daniel Johnson and the like over there so that'd be really good for those guys another big announcement that Xavier Cooks really good player from the Sydney Kings last year has actually re-signed with them uh, with the with the Kings again, so we don't know what's hap- too too many things that's happening with the Kings at the moment. We don't know what's happening with Casper Ware. We don't know what's happening with Bogut. It's a bit all up in the air with the Kings at the moment. So uh, we'll have to see what they what they can they muster up over these next few days in free agency. But a good signing there with Cooks. Uh, another another stalwart of the uh, NBL. He's been playing a long time. He was he was back when I start was following. Uh, when he was on the United, the United team, he moved over to the Kings and then the Hawks, and now he's on the Wildcats. Wildcats. He's he's on the Wildcats now, so he's uh, joined the lights, likes of uh, Bryce Cotton there. So that'll be a good good pairing with him and Bryce over in Perth. And one last one last one that I will mention is today, the the Melbourne United uh, re-signed David Barlow, another another great player for the. For, for United over the past however many years he's been there. He's been there quite a long time now and he's really producing his best at the latter end of his career. He's been a very good player through the uh, championships, championship era for Melbourne United. So a few good signings there and looking forward to some more over the next few days and looking forward to the NBL starting on December, December 3rd. Yes, I think uh, we're all looking forward to seeing a bit of basketball return to our shores. But... 
from one um, sport that plays on a court to another. Netball, <coughs> like the AFL, is calling Queensland home. I know in <coughs> one of the resorts up in Queensland, they're housing the Melbourne Football Club, Melbourne Storm, North Melbourne, and the GWS Netball team. Isn't that a very sporty accommodation place? But tell us a bit about the move, Jake, as the under pressures netball expert. Yeah, so there's not not too much to not too much to sort of say. Matt, you said it perfectly. There, they they all teams are moving over there, not just the Victorian team. So there's teams in uh, in there's a team in Perth. There's a few in Sydney and a few in Melbourne and. Uh, one in Adelaide as well. So they're all moving over to Queensland to create that hub, as you said. Um, the season's uh, kicking off in 10 days, actually, which uh, is really, really good. But confusingly, they haven't released a fixture as of yet. I believe it'll be either tomorrow, which would be the 23rd of July, or the 24th of July, I think it would be released. So that, that'll be coming up in the next couple of days. And... They're just doing a, a normal regular season like, like they would any other year, the normal 14 rounds and final series. So it's really good. It'll be really good to have netball up and running for, for another season. And it's good that they haven't, haven't postponed it or cancelled it or anything like that. They're going ahead as well as the uh, NBL too. So it's really good, really good to see. So looking forward to that in a week and a, week and a half's time. They say a week is a long time in sport, but a week in Formula One is an eternity. And during the steering Grand Prix, it was revealed that Racing Point were not interested in Sebastian Vettel. A week later, in Budapest for the Hungarian Grand Prix, Racing Point, soon to be Aston Martin, are in very serious talks with Sebastian Vettel. Obviously, Sebastian Vettel would have to take a very sizable pay cut to to go to Racing Point or Aston Martin, whatever you want to call it, but it looks likely, which leaves a bit of a dilemma. They've got one driver contracted next year in Sergio Perez, but they've also got someone who's got a huge ownership stake in the Aston Martin and the Racing Point team. Lance Stroll's father, who's one of the driver out of contract, owning the team. So we all understand that Lance Stroll's not going anywhere. His dad would not have invested so much in the in the business and the team to not give his son a drive. And Sergio Perez, uh, to his credit, um, has said, I wouldn't sack my team or I wouldn't sack my son from a team. So unfortunately for Sergio Perez, it looks like he's going to have to move. And it's to me, I feel really sorry for the guy. He saved his side when they were forced India and called for administration, which brought in the Lawrence Stroll investment and saved the team. But he's also been a driver that's really deserved of this performance from a team that's currently now performing at a very high level. Perez at times has snuck onto the podium in interest when a race has become an absolute monkey of a race and results have changed dramatically and has snuck on the podium feel like I made up six expressions in that sentence. But Perez is looking at other things, which probably leaves Haas. Um, one thing to know for Aston, the new Aston Martin team is they lose a huge lot of money that Sergio Perez brings to the team. He's sponsored by, you know, he's, one of his backers is Carlos Slim, one of the richest men in the world. 
So Vettel would be the perfect fit for them. Um, however, I think this story still got a little way to go. This is how I'm reading the situation and this, no one's reported this or whatnot, but if I was Mercedes, I'd be very concerned that Sebastian Vettel could be racing at racing point next year in a car, which is essentially Mercedes previous season car. The cars aren't going to change much between this year and next year. So essentially Mercedes will be racing the 2020, 2021 Mercedes and, and um, Aston Martin will be racing the car one year older. Wouldn't it be embarrassing for Mercedes if Sebastian Vettel consistently beats Mercedes in a one-year-old car? He hasn't performed well of late at Ferrari, and I think going to a British-structured Formula One team is something that will definitely benefit Sebastian Vettel, as he, he did love that structure at Red Bull. But would Mercedes, to save face, not sign Valtteri Bottas, and line up Vettel alongside Hamilton so they don't lose to him in the, their previous season's car. I don't know. It's just something that I thought, could this happen? Could it not? Probably won't happen. But just thought, how good would it be for the sport of Formula One to see Lewis v Seb in the same car? But moving back to footy, the next four rounds of the round have been released and it is 33 games jammed into 20 days of footy, Jake. This is something I'm looking forward to, finishing work on a Tuesday or Wednesday night and having two games of footy to watch live on TV. How good's that? Oh, I'm going to be honest. No, <laughs> no one's going to want to be around me at all when, when these nights come. It's the the footy is going to is taking over the taking over the screen. It's going to be fantastic to see footy on a Wednesday. The weird Tuesday as well. I haven't had that in like ever. I don't reckon it wouldn't have been. Uh, the only the only Tuesday night fo- football game I can recall would be an Anzac Day Eve game where Melbourne would have played Richmond heading into the Collingwood Essendon blockbuster the day after. That's the only Tuesday game I can think of. Of course, yes, that's that is that is very true. No, you're you're very right there, but yeah, it still seems weird that there's going to be yeah three weeks and thirty three games of footy. It's going to be jam packed, but it's going to be a lot of fun, and it'll be interesting to see what the the teams do with the players with such sh- short turnarounds. I'm very interested to see what what they plan, and I know a few teams only have four a few four day breaks and like, do you train in those days? Do you, do you just sum up the game tape from the, the game just gone and then go into the next one? It's going to be, might be a bit difficult for teams to sort of shuffle around, but I'm sure they'll, they'll be able to deal with it and it'll all work out from there. Yeah. Um, it'll be, it'll be interesting. I know Geelong and Colin would have four days in four games in 14 days. And then there are other sides like Melbourne and Essendon because they missed that game in round two or round three. I think round three. Um, they've already had their bye, which is a bit of a blow for both those teams because they essentially had three months of no footy, 
a game and then a week off. It's probably not an ideal preparation when you look at into the back end of the season. So it's going to be tough for those teams. I, I, I noticed that um, Essendon have got all, all four games in uh, Brisbane, which is great for them. Um, Melbourne travelled to three states plus staying in Brisbane, which is a bit interesting, but I'm sure what will happen is they've got the bulk of the uh, non-Queensland games early and then they'll have a huge run in Queensland. And maybe a couple of games in the Northern Territory, given their past association with the um, Northern Territory. So my question, Jake, is which teams do you think are going to benefit most from this cramped up season? It's really diff- it's really difficult to say. Obviously, we haven't haven't had this haven't had this before. But it's teams that are that that back up well. I know that sounds sounds really stupid, but it's the teams that can put ever put whatever they did four or five days before away and not get too hyped about it or down on themselves about it, whether it's a win or a loss. I think the faster they can move from that game and put, start preparing for the next one, the really good teams will do that really well and you'll be able to tell, I think, you'll be able to tell the really professional teams and, and the teams that might be a bit younger and are a bit laid back more in terms of playing the next game in five days' time. And then to add to that, you've also got players who have got families outside of the hub who might not be as committed or whatnot because they've got family stuff. Well, not committed is probably the wrong word, but distracted by not able to see their family who are genuinely the older players. So it's a, there's a lot of almost checks and balances here. Like I was thinking of it from a Melbourne perspective, and I think I've said this a couple of times on the pod before, Darren Burgess is used to these four-day breaks with games in the Premier League and Champions League when he was, I think, the media head of... um, Not head of media, head of um, fitness at, like, Liverpool and Arsenal. But Melbourne have got an advantage then. But you then look, there have been times where our players have been immature and they've they've taken the winners. Yes, this is huge. This is brilliant. This is brilliant. And then the next week, they get flogged getting ahead of themselves. So it's, it's, it's... going to be a, a really interesting act and now that I, I, I know I've said on the podcast is this season going to really mean something at the end of the year but at the moment having got a decent sample size of what six or seven rounds in a row I'm actually think that whoever wins this season's won the most difficult to win premiership in AFL history given that every team in the competition will have to hub for a significant amount of time. Um, you might say the Queensland teams uh, don't, but I think I think they, they might have a few more interstate trips where it'll be more the fly-in, fly-out model. But this is a wonderful season, and I'm really looking forward to the Big Bash meets the footy style fixtures coming up in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. I think a lot of people were, were like us and were very sceptical whether how, how much the season was going to mean, but you're absolutely right. It's, it's one of those seasons that's going to be one for the ages and a season that people will remember and they'll go, oh, remember that team that won during that crazy season? It'll always be remembered that 2020 was this crazy season and this particular team won. It'll always be, everyone will always think about it. So it'll be a good one to win and... 
I hope it's John. <laughs> Had to say it. Had to say it. I, I, I knew exactly where you're going. I'm going to say Melbourne's going to win the flag. Petrarca's going to win it to do a dusty and win the uh, Norm Smith and the Brown Life, as well as uh, take home a premiership. But we're both getting a little bit too far ahead of yourselves. One thing for Geelong, the loss of the four points against Collingwood was one thing, but to lose Selwood for two weeks and to since have to see Gary Ablett return home to be with his family, which, to be honest, 100% for. If a player needs to leave a hub for whatever reason, let them do it. And I'm sure, I'm sure Chris Scott would have almost offered to drive Gary Ablett to the airport. Oh, Agreed. Like when it comes to when it comes to footy, footy's footy's always second to family, and Geelong did everything right by Gary and letting letting him go home to look after his young boy Levi. And we hope, yeah, we hope that everything turns out for the best and he can he can get back into the hub and play a few more games because I know that people will be excited to see Gary. But family's number one right now, and that's that's all fine with us. gives gives a chance for some some young young kids to make it into the into the side and show what they can do. And I think with John O'Geelong's taken all all players over to the hub, so they've got a big choice to pick from there. So it'll be, give some chances, but yeah, we wish, wish Gary and the family the best. And I think that photo that um, did the rounds on social media, um, Gary Ablett meeting um, his wife and Levi at the airport with the the hug at the airport with Levi will be the most icon- the most iconic image of football for the year of that photo of family does come first. This is, yes, we are footballers. Yes, we're here to do a job. But when when, when we have to, family will come first. And that, that's a beautiful and very powerful image. Yeah, it was it was a really great photo and 100% agree. It'll be, it'll be the poster for, for this season and what every player has gone through. I think it's, it's a really and, good, really good image. And there's stories everywhere of, there are some players in the hub that have had to leave their partners behind. I think from memory, it was Sam Wiedemann who had to leave his um, girlfriend behind because she's a nurse and she's got an essential job, which you do. And all these players are doing phenomenal things to ensure that the competition goes on. And, I, I can't stand listening to talkback radio and hear people say, oh, they get paid a lot of money to play football. They get to do everyone's dream job. No, that's not the way to look at it, where family comes first and and their mental health comes first and they're the priorities to these players. And if a player does need to leave a hub, as I said, I'm sure Chris Scott would have driven Ablett to the airport. Port. I'm sure the coach would be the first person to say, I'll give you a ride to the airport and I'll buy you coffee on the way just to look after them. I'm sure every coach in the competition would do that. And I'm, I think it's a real credit to the players, the umpires, the coaches, the, the, the other staff that are locked up in the hub with everyone is they're away from their families. And given the situation in Australia at the moment, particularly Victoria, that can't go unnoticed. Yeah, no, I completely agree, and that that's very well said. So, I won't won't add too much more to that. But yeah, perfect sentiment there to finish that off. So we're going to now go into our under pressure teams of the week. Starting off with Jake, and you've got a side that has lost five games on the trot. Yes, I do. 
I, I just felt like I had to bring it up. I didn't want to do it, but I needed a team this week, and this 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 is the team that I felt is under just a little bit of pressure at the moment with everything that's going on at the moment. So the team that I've chosen this week is an AFL team. It's North Melbourne. At the moment, their injury list is huge. So that puts them under pressure right from the beginning. Puts pressure on the kids that are coming in to fill these spots from the likes of Ben Cunnington, huge player, Jed Anderson, in and under, Jai Simkin, who I mentioned a bit later, he's been a, he's been a revelation this year. Taron Thomas, another young guy, Jack Zebel, and Cameron Zerha, who's an absolute bull in that forward line for them, as well as Jack Zebel too. The the problem at the moment, these last five weeks, has been going into their forward line. They've got a great defence, I think personally. They bring it out really well, but once they get to, once they get to the wing and half forward. There's just there's no there's no structure going into that forward line. The Ben Brown is obviously the full forward. He's finding it so difficult to find any space in that forward line. It's just congested. All balls that go into this forward line are getting bombed in, and there's no. You just hope the crummers are there to get the ball, but it usually bounces straight back out, and that's why they haven't been scoring as much as well. Can I ask you a quick follow-up question onto that, Jake? Could North Melbourne look at a mistake in when they had to do their coaching staff restructure? Do you think it was a mistake that they removed their forward coach? Yes, I did. Reshaw is essentially a first-year coach. Is that the coach you would have removed? Yes. No, I, I did. I did see this. Did see this uh, uh, article, and uh, uh, and it was a very good point made made by Jared Whaley. Actually, they dropped both their their defence coach and and their forwards coach as well. And that, again, that puts so much pressure on Reece Shaw, arguably a first-year coach, as you said. And having those guys not around him is, is, wouldn't, be, wouldn't be very nice. It uh, wouldn't be a very nice feeling and have that added, that added pressure that Reece Shaw probably doesn't need in his, technically, his first year of coaching. And just also following on from that, you look at, where their biggest weaknesses are and the loss of both coaches at both ends of the ground has had an astronomical effect on the game. And they're probably their, their two worst areas with perhaps maybe the exception of Robbie Tarrant. But there's problems all across the board for North Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. He's still, still my points left, right and centre here, Matt. Jeez, what's, what, what's happening here? Yes, no, there, there, there has been some really good highlights for North Melbourne this year. Like you said, the, the likes of Robbie Tarrant is having him very much an all-Australian season this year. He's, he's been absolutely phenomenal. Been phenomenal in my uh, super coach team, so keep, keep it up, Robbie. Um, another, another guy who's had significant improvement over this season, and who I mentioned before, who's currently injured, hopefully not for too long, if, if at all, is uh, Jai Simkin. He's been fantastic. He's been getting 20-plus touches and, and actually using those touches, not just, not just getting them and just quick, a quick handball out on a quick kick to the left or something like that. He's actually making use of the touches and performing really well. And somehow Sean Higgins keeps getting better with age, which is, which is phenomenal. He keeps, he's, he's, he's racking up 25 touches plus and he's been moved, moved down to half back a little bit as well as the midfield, just to sort of get the use of the ball out to the midfield and let them go off from there. But 
Yeah, since since the restart, it hasn't been really good. They started they started obviously with that win, really good win over GWS, and we thought, all right, North Melbourne going all right, close loss. I think it was a close loss to St Kilda, or did they beat St Kilda. Can't remember right now. That's all right. I, th- I think so. from I can remember. I can't remember North Melbourne losing that game, but I can. I'm pretty sure I can remember St Kilda winning. No, North Melbourne did beat St Kilda. Well, there you in go. Round one. Yeah, there you go. So they were they were two and zero. So looking looking really good, and then something hit, and they've lost they've lost five straight games from then on. As you said, to to open up, they've lost to Sydney, Hawthorne, Bulldogs, Essendon, and Richmond. I mean, there's some good sides in there, but you know, there's there's some not very good sides in there too. So it's really hard to tell where yeah. they're at, and they're not really scoring either. So that that's a little bit of a problem. The the next some. Some eagle. I just want to just follow up on that point. Some eagle-eyed or eagle-eared listeners of the show might recall after round round two, I may have said North Melbourne might be already home for a finals position, given that they were two and zero and they were looking superb. I was hugely wrong. So I just thought before we get all people messaging us in saying, "Matt, you said this in round two. Yes, I admit it. I'm wrong. I'm I'm allowed to do that, and as you know, Matt doesn't admit that he's wrong very often. So that that that's pretty big. But yeah, just just moving on to the last the last last little thing here. The, the next the next two weeks of North Melbourne are, are very key. I don't know if they can if they can make finals. I might give them a slight chance because you never know. But if they lose this week against against Carlton, then then they've got Adelaide the week after. So it's two pretty big games, two winnable games for them, definitely. But with all these injuries, you, you wonder whether these, whether Carlton and Adelaide can, can get the win over them. So, And hopefully they can benefit from playing a few games down at uh, the Bell Reeve Oval later in the year when they're in the Tasmanian hub, so, so to speak. Yeah, so in these next few fixtures, yeah, you're right. They do have the, some games in Hobart, which will be good for them. Don't know if I don't know how many fans are allowed in there, if if any, but it'll be good. For at them the moment, to... I think I've read it was five hundred. Okay, well at least that at least that's something they've got some fans there, and it'll be it'll be purely pretty much purely North Melbourne fans. So that'll be that'll be good for them. And but again, very much under pressure, five in a row. Wouldn't want to lose this week whatsoever, and they really need to figure out that forward line structure. Otherwise, they'll be down that bottom end of the table this whole season. I think. Yes, and it's funny that you did North Melbourne because I actually did a side that linked very well in with your uh, chat about North Melbourne. One of the sides that I've beaten this year, GWS. So one of the reasons why I did say I thought North Melbourne were home was they beat the Giants. They were the grand finals from last year and they played a phenomenal brand of football and probably by the time that they got to the grand final, they were a bit cooked last year. So I don't have an issue with the grand final loss last year, which some people are saying. I am going to go back to the analogy that is used a lot with the GWS Giants is they are the Ferrari. Leon Cameron has got the keys to the Ferrari, which I actually think is very symbolic given that this year the Ferrari Formula One team has had a very similarly styled disaster to the Giants. So it's actually links in quite well Ferrari Formula One and the Giants. But um, one of the things that have uh, got the Giants in trouble is they're they're currently going for inside 50. They've got fewer inside 50s than any other team in the comp. 
when you look at the the sort of the, the way that they play and that is a problem. If you're not going in 50, you're not going to score. And if you're not going to score, you're not going to win. It's it's pretty simple maths, Jake, I think. Yeah, pretty accurate. Couldn't agree, couldn't agree more with that, with that analogy for sure. Uh, during their game on the weekend, Brisbane had a whopping 22 more inside 50s. And, okay, obviously some teams can win the inside 50s by over 20 entries and still lose because Melbourne have made that a very continuous theme of late. But if you're losing 22 by 22 inside 50s, you're not going to win many games. And this is the problem. What are the Giants going to do? They need a win more so than I think any other team in the competition. And it's not going to get harder with the grand final rematch this week, Jake, is it? Yeah, no. It's it's going to be a huge game this week, isn't it? On the Friday night blockbuster. And to be on, and to be honest, the moment when I to be I realised that there was a problem with the Giants was when Brett Deledio spoke on ABC radio during the week and or uh, I think just following the game and he I'll paraphrase him a bit but he essentially said something like when the players are in trouble they revert back to their natural talent and they go I can win it myself and that's sort of the problem you've got when you've got all these top 10 players who right through their junior football they've gone I'm the I'm the best player in the team and one of the best players in the comp, my natural ability can get me out of this problem here. I don't need to rely on the rest of my team. And that these players are doing this con- continuously. And and the reason why I think it was such a key comment is it's very, very rare that a player that retired the year before would make such a stark criticism of their former team. Yeah, I was very surprised when I heard this from... From Delidio, uh, obviously, as you said, he's he's recently retired, and it's not something he wasn't very outspoken when he was a when he was a footballer. So it's very interesting to see that he's chosen to voice his opinion now, a year after he's retired. Yeah, and if he said that about any other team in the comp, we would have said, "Yep, fair call. He's absolutely right." But to say it about the club that you were at last year, it's like, "Wow, you're right." But you're the one that's saying that. And the Giants are in a very big predicament because right throughout the year, they've said, we will re-sign Leon Cameron. We will re-sign Leon Cameron. But do you think they should still re-sign him if they don't make finals, Jake? I believe, actually, I may have seen a little bit earlier today that they actually have re-signed him. Already, so I actually thought I heard something that during the radio, but I'm just looking up to get confirmation. I actually can't see anything, but I think from what I I, I heard that a deal's very very close to be signed. Yeah, so it, it's it, it's it's happened or it's it, it's in the works. So they're they're not far off. They're not far off doing it. Do you think Cameron should? be the coach of the Giants next year? Or do you think the Giants should just go, actually, can we, let's just wait a few weeks? No, I, I don't think you can... I don't think you can sack... I mean, you can, but I don't think it'd be the right thing to do 
to sack a coach in the middle of this strange, strange season. See, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I'd probably give him a two-year deal. I wouldn't go anything longer than two years. You look at the NRL and you, another coach has walked this week. It's, it's the NRL has got a, a huge aura of normality this year. And the AFL, we're like, no, no, no coach should lose their job this year because of the pandemic. But the NRL say it differently. That's a bit of a side tangent. But the Giants need a win. And if it doesn't come this week, it's starting to get hard for them. They don't have a percentage over 100, meaning they've um, been scored against more than they've scored. And it's, it's going to be a tough, tough win, but they need to win this week. And that will just about do us again for the Under Pressure podcast. And we'll see you on the next one.